chapter 1, verse 1, I call your attention today. I, when Kate was going to sing the special music today, I asked her to sing that song. and It's always been a special song, me and her. Um, but there was a lady that recently visited our worship service that talked to me after the service said, I have one question for you. And I'm, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm used to answering questions. I used to don't have many answers, but I take a lot of questions. And she said, I just want to ask, is, is, is everybody welcome here? And of course, you know what my immediate answer is? Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean, if everybody's not welcome, then I'm not welcome. And if everybody's not welcome, then Jesus is not welcome. We'd be in a mess. So absolutely, yes. And she was, of course, relieved, you know, as we talked and went on. And I, and I talked with her since then. But I began to really think about that. And I talked to our deacons in our deacons meeting last week or so. I said, couple weeks ago I said guys we really got to think about that that's a good question it's something we've got to answer not just today we're going to answer it tomorrow and every day because there's a lot of there you won't believe this there's a lot of churches Jesus is not welcome <laughs> amen and so uh, we don't ever but we're no respecter persons the book of James teaches us that that you know we who are we you know who am I that a king would bleed and die for yes thank God we're welcome here amen I'm grateful to God for that. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand with me if you found your place in honor and reverence reading of God's word. It's so good to see you today in worship. I can't tell you how much I look forward to worship now more than ever. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. The word of God says these words. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded is in you also therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind Father in Jesus name I thank you for the word that I just read I thank you for how it speaks to my heart and challenges me to be more like you May we receive the word today, and may we respond as the Spirit of God speaks to all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I was telling in the early service today that there's times I think back over my journey with Jesus and my family and serving him over the years. There's times that uh, I'll never be able to thank my children for the ministry they provided to their daddy. Because there was times, especially when girls were younger, the early days when some days you don't always feel like you're chopping trees. Sometimes you feel like you're down there with the mosquitoes and the snake bellies and stuff like that. And there were times on Sunday mornings I'd take my place on the front pew and get ready for worship and not be feeling the top of the world. And the Lord would send that young lady that just sang when she was about four or five years old. And she would run and jump in my lap. And when she jumped in my lap, I knew whatever came that day would be all right because she believed in me amen and I'm grateful to God for that and we need to know we're going to read today about those who believe in each other and make a difference in their life I'm speaking to you today 
on the influence of others. Wednesday night in our Wednesday night prayer meeting, I encouraged everybody that was in attendance, and I want to share the same encouragement to you today and, and just challenge you a little bit to consider some things as we get in eight months in the pandemic. I'm sure there are some people throughout these past eight months that have been a tremendous blessing to you. Uh, there are some folks that have been a constant source of encouragement and people that when you thought of them, it brought a smile to your face and some joy to your heart, people that you've seen a lot of. There are also others that you've not seen much of because of the distancing and things like that, and for many of those are legitimate reasons. I understand that and uh, don't make light of that at all. But I want you to think about some folks and think about some people who have been uh, on either side of that. Think about one person that you've missed seeing that you'd really like to see in worship again and just encourage them. Think about also on the other side of that coin, think about somebody that has been that person you knew before. When I think of them and see them, it encourages me, and they've been a constant source of encouragement to me through this time. And what I've encouraged them to do on Wednesday night, and I want to encourage you to do the same, take a few minutes. We live in a very communicatable world. We live in a world where communication options are far greater than ever. My children cannot believe that we used to have one telephone in the house. It was in the kitchen at an 84-foot-long spiral cord, and everybody listened to your conversations when somebody called you. Amen? I mean, and when you called somebody, the other day my daughter called somebody, got a busy signal, and didn't know what it was. <laughs> Something's wrong with this phone, Daddy. We've got to take it back. I'm like, baby, that's a busy signal. What in the world is that? And so... Uh, they, they don't live, but so we live in a world of much more communication. So you have opportunities to communicate them more than you ever did before. So take the opportunity, if you would, between now and next Sunday, maybe before Thanksgiving would be a good time. Somebody that's really encouraged you, let them know that. Send them a card, send them uh, a text, I mean, whatever, a voicemail, snail mail, do something and just say, hey, I just want you to know the past eight months, you've helped me and when I think about you it's encouraged me and think about others that you you want to be that encourager or that refresher we're going to talk about too that you might send a note to and say you know I've really missed you I just want you to know I love you I'd like to tell you that I can do all that on my own and all that but I know that that would not be possible and that's why we've got each other we need each other to help each other through this thing so as you think about that think also about others throughout your journey that have been an influence on your life and think about those who have helped you navigate the rough waters of life, especially now. Think about how they provided support for you and, and how many times when you felt like you had failed and no one cared, that person or persons continually helped pick you up. I think we all could agree that these people that come to our minds have been used by God to sustain us and support us even in our deepest hours of need. So Paul knew the importance of this and he knew the importance of these people in his life and the lives of those around him that he did so much that he paid respect to one man in particular in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, just below where we read. Here's what he said. He said, The Lord grant mercy to, to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how he ministered to me at Ephesus. 
See, Paul was reminding Timothy, who's now the pastor at Ephesus, that when he was at Ephesus, that God used a specific individual. It's only mentioned just a few times in Scripture and how he used his family to be a refresher to him. See, Onesiphorus, his name literally means bringing profit. It means he's bringing something to the table, and that's just what he did for Paul spiritually. He was a man of great courage, a man of tremendous generosity, whose entire life is summed up with five words. He often refreshed me. Now let's talk about the word refresh for a minute. The word refresh means to voluntarily and gently breathe upon repeatedly with great intensity. Let me say that again. Refresh means to voluntarily and gently breathe upon repeatedly with great intensity. Paul's saying this man was consistently, repeatedly, and with great intensity. He was bringing life to my days. And this is something I said Wednesday night. And I know it's not an original thought because I never had any of those. But I begin to think about as pastors during this time uh, the importance of what we're doing. I said at the beginning of the pandemic that what God does in the days ahead through his men and messengers and leaders is probably the most important thing that he has done throughout history of the church. But when I did, I said to the church this, I said, there's one thing we know about pastors. A pastor cannot add any more days to your life but we can be used by God to add life to your days. Amen. We can't make you live longer, but we can help you add some life, some enjoyment, and some energy to the days that God has given you. I believe we've got a picture I want to put up there right quick. Carla, if you've got it ready. Y'all see this picture? Don't, don't worry about the bald spot on the guy's head there in the back. I mean, that's, that's the ugly part. Let me tell you why I shared this picture with you today. Social distancing has been hard on all of us, but it's really been tough on my old buddy John. He struggles. You know why? Because John wants to know not only that he's loved by you, he wants you to know that you're loved by him. So Wednesday night he had all he could take, Pat. You were right here. You saw him. He had all he could take, and we were singing, closing out the Wednesday night service with how great is our God and how great thou art. Marty was leaving, and John had all he could take. He'd come down here, and he'd come up to me, and he nudged me and said, hey, big guy. <laughs> he puts his on, and I thought, you know what? Hey, man, this is really what it's all about. Amen? Unconditional love for one another, and I don't have any greater refreshers outside of my own home than John Hyatt and Patrick Bean because those two boys love unconditionally. They don't have any preconceived ideas. They don't go home and gossip about you and all that. They genuinely love you. And these guys refresh me. So that was my moment of refreshment Wednesday night. That's why I'm pretty fired up today. Amen? Because John refreshed me. He was my onocyphorus. Thank you. The word refresh, also in the original language, I told you what it meant, but Strong says it means this. It means... The, the, the reduction of temperature by evaporation or to chill. This kind of helps you chill. We know what that means, and it could mean we need somebody to be a refresher to breathe upon our life. See, Timothy needed encouragement. He was a pastor. Ever since he was experiencing great difficulty, he was ministering in a pagan city, and he lived everyday problems of ministry, and now Paul is opening up his second final letter to Timothy, and here he becomes the refresher to Timothy because of what Onesiphorus had done for him. Paul was a definite person of influence in Timothy's life, and he employs a clear strategy for reminding Timothy on how to be a refresher and influence on others. 
In the opening verses of chapter 1, we see where Paul speaks of his own personal character when he talks about how he extends grace, how he's a servant, he's a man of prayer, he loves fellowship with other believers, and he finds joy even in times of sacrifice. So with that in mind, I want to focus on verses 5, 6, and 7 for just a few moments this morning on how I believe that we can be people of the right kind of influence on others and for others and help others to do the same. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 5, we read about the motivation to bear fruit. See, as Paul sought to motivate Timothy, the Holy Spirit led him to focus on the godly influence and strength of his family. Paul often referred to Timothy as a son because he loved him that much and it also could be because his earthly father had not taught him the scriptures, nor had he been a godly influence in his life. You say, well, you know, how in the world do you know that? Well, just by reading the word of God, we understand that Paul moves toward the influence of his grandmother and mother, and he doesn't even speak of his father. And I would just stand to reason that if his father was the number one influencer for God in his life, he would have been listed not only in the list, but at the head of the list in Paul's mind. So Paul took him in as a son, and he taught him some things because Timothy was a timid man. He suffered from physical ailments, and he was tempted to allow others to take advantage of him and not assert his authority as a pastor. So Paul knew he had to toughen him up a little bit. He knew he was going to have to get some alligator hide, but he's going to have to keep a tender heart. He knew that he had to toughen him up because there were some trials coming that were going to be tougher than what was behind him. But he also knew before he could toughen him up, he had to build him up. He had to edify him before he could get him ready for the battle ahead. So there's a motivation to bear fruit. Notice what that is here in verse 5. The first thing we notice is, is that fruit bearing is inspired by those who live with you. See, in verse 4, Paul refers to the tears Timothy shed the last time they were together before he was arrested and taken prisoner in Rome. Paul knew that Timothy was a man of genuine faith. He knew that he was a man of total sincerity, and he had given evidence to that fact. Paul knew that he was genuine and that he was not a phony, he was not a fake. But where did he get these traits from? Well, Paul names those who first influenced Timothy as a genuine man of God in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Here's what Warren Wiersbe said about that. He said, Timothy's heritage was a great one, for he was reared in a godly house, trained by a wonderful apostle, and given marvelous opportunities to serve the Lord. Well, I believe it's important we understand that, that Timothy had great opportunities but it also lied in the fact that he had been invested in by his family and he had been influenced by the Apostle Paul. See, it's a fact, ladies and gentlemen, that those who live with you under the same roof have a tremendous amount of influence in your life. 
very important. That's what me and Wayne was talking about one day. We was talking about, you know, it's hard to hurt our feelings. You know, we don't get our feelings. They said the reason it's hard to hurt our feelings is because we had to hold the flashlight for our daddy when he worked on the car on his little wall. You can't hurt my feelings because I couldn't hold the light right. Wayne, did you ever learn how to hold the light right? You didn't either. We couldn't hold the light right. We wasn't much help. So, you know, it's important we understand that those that live with you have great influence in your life. So here's the question. What about those of you? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I was not raised in a godly home, so am I just bound to repeat the same cycle of ungodliness and unfaithfulness to God? Absolutely not. Here's what I believe. I believe that the Word of God teaches us that every father has responsibility to be the priest, provider, protector of his home. Amen? Anybody with me? Priest, provider, protector of his home. And I believe that that responsibility is deeply tied to him leading his children to Christ and leading them to love and serve God with all their heart. And if you do not do so, you will be held accountable for not doing so in the day of judgment. Now, Father, sometimes we don't like to think about this, but dads, let me help you. When you stand before God, you will not just stand before God for your personal walk with God. You will stand before God how you led your family to walk with God, how you loved your wife, how you took care of her, how you esteemed her, and how you raised those children to love God. You will be held accountable for these things, and there's nothing you can do to escape it. So here's the question. Some people say, well, you know, if daddy won't do it, should mama just give up? Should mama just throw in the towel? Should she not try to invest in her children? I think we see from the testimony of Lois and Eunice that investing in these boys and girls is good regardless of where it comes from. Amen? Thank God that Lois and Eunice didn't say, well, Timothy's daddy won't go to church. Timothy's daddy don't walk with God, so we just go and turn him over. And I, no, no, they kept believing, kept investing, and kept believing that God had greater things. Sometimes I've ministered to young moms, and they would have young children, and they would bring them to church faithfully. They would be deeply concerned because they didn't have the help and the leadership they needed. It's always something concerning. And sometimes they would come see me and they would tell me this. Well, I just fussed and I just raised all kind of sand on him last night because he wouldn't get his shirt ready, wouldn't shine his shoes. And he wouldn't come with us this morning. So I just left the house fussing all of our way to church. That's good, wouldn't it, preacher? No, it wasn't good. Because I know something about men, ladies, because I are one. Raising cane on us don't always get you what you want. Amen. Sometimes it drives a wedge. Sometimes it makes us more rebellious. Any witness? Hey, listen to me, guys, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that a godly wife can win an ungodly husband. But here's how she's supposed to do it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says these words. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that if some do not obey the word, they, look here, without a word may be won by the conduct of their wife. Not by the chastening of their wife, but by the conduct of their wife. It's very important. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Here's what the Bible says. That just being who you are, walking with Jesus, and walking faithfully can make a difference. And without saying a word, you can lead them to Christ. So here's a question we've got to ask too. 
Well, what if it's dad who loves God and leads the children and mama resists? Well, one of the greatest examples I see this is in the life of Tony Evans when he talks about his daddy. You know, his daddy was a sanitation worker in Baltimore, Maryland. And along the way, his daddy came to know Jesus. And when daddy came to know Jesus, things started changing around the house. See, when heaven moves in, hell will move out. Amen? I'm just telling you, okay? So things start changing around the house. And when things started changing around the house, mama resisted. Because she didn't want to live like that. She didn't know what happened to this man. He done fell off the edge of the earth. But you know what he kept doing? He just kept loving her. He just kept walking with Jesus. He just kept being good to her, kept providing for her. And then finally one day she came to him and she said, I just don't understand it. I don't know how you do it. The meaner I get, the nicer you get. The more I fuss, the more you love me. I don't know what you got or who you got, but whatever you got, I want some of what you got. So here, here's daddy leading mama to Jesus. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You know how he led her to Jesus? He led her to Jesus by living and loving like Jesus. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's good to have the word of God in your heart. It's good to have the word of God coming forth from your mouth. But if it don't match the way you're living, nobody's listening. But I want to tell you, when it matches the way you're living, you can make a definite impact on the world around us. All I can say today is thank God for people who get it. And not only people who get it, but people who give out what God has put within them. Remember this. You can only reproduce what you possess. No other way around it. So in Timothy's case, it was Paul speaking into the lives of his grandmother and his mother who in turn spoke it to him. And ladies and gentlemen, we must understand today that we must not try to conceal the gospel because the light is too bright and the world is too dark and the world needs to see the light of the gospel being spoken and being fleshed out in the lives of God's people. Well, there's another thing about fruit bearing too. It's not only inspired by those who live with you, but the one who lives within you. See, Paul said, uh, Timothy, what I've witnessed in your grandmother and in your mother, I've also witnessed that in you. And Timothy's fruit bearing was definitely impacted by his family from the outside and the Holy Spirit from the inside. He wanted Timothy to remember that when trials came his way that he was not to lose heart, he was not to give up, he was not to quit. I've always thought quit was a four-letter word anyhow. It don't need to be a part of our vocabulary. And Paul wanted him to remember to trust Jesus who lives within him. Here's what Adrian Rogers said. He said, God does not give you the wings of a dove to fly away. He wants to give you the wings of an eagle to soar over your problems right where you are. He doesn't give you the escape route. He's giving you the ability to stand firm. Ladies and gentlemen, when trials come to us, we don't need to be motivated by fear, but we must be motivated by faith, and we must not resign because of our past failures. We must respond because of our present trial. God is the one living within us, and he's the one that gives us the motivation to bear fruit. Now I've got to move on to verse 6. This is where I get a little bit fired up about this because I'm excited about what verse 6 has to say. See, in verse 5, Paul was speaking about the words of young Timothy, but in verse 6, he's giving him a reminder. Here's what he does. He reminds him, first of all, about the means to build a fire. And under the means to build a fire, he reminds him that the preparation of our fire is a personal responsibility. 
He said, therefore I remind you, stir up the gift of God that is in you. Here's what Paul was doing. He was charging and challenging Timothy not to allow the challenges of ministry to cool off the fervency with which he served God. He's saying, Timothy, don't you get cold. Don't you get indifferent. Don't you even begin to cool off. You stay hot for the things of God. See, Paul said this. He said, because you have a sincere faith that is in God, it is your responsibility to stir up what God has put within you. Now let's look at those two words, stir up, for a minute. Now we know as Baptists what it looks like when Baptists get worked up, don't we? But he didn't tell us to get worked up. He told us to stay stirred up, and there is a difference. See, to stir up means to kindle afresh or to keep the fire alive. It means to fan the embers into a flame and not let them die out. <laughs> oh my, don't we need some folk to stir up what God's put in them in this world? Don't we need some people who will understand that? You say, well, wait a minute, I got a question. Stir up what? What's clear, clear? Stir up the gift that God has put within you. You see, every Christian, ladies and gentlemen, in this room today and under the sun has been gifted by God in a special way. Every one of you. God has gifted you specifically for His purpose. And it is your personal responsibility to continually stir up your gift. You say, well, preacher, I don't have to stir up my gift because I know when I get here on Sunday, you're going to stir it up for me. Well, I don't mind helping you. And thanks be to God, we help each other. But between Sundays, if you don't have a personal conviction to stir up your own gift, you'll be a dying ember by Saturday night, and you'll find a reason not to come on Sunday because you've waited too long for somebody else to stir you up. What you need to realize is, is that God has called you to stir up what He's already put in you. See, I believe it's important we understand that. There's some right here in this room today you think the fire's gone out. You say, man, my fire's gone out. I, I'm cold as ice. No, 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 you're not completely there. You might be down to a flickering ember, but I want to tell you what. You're here today, which is good, because that means your fire hadn't completely gone out, and you just need somebody to remind you that that flame is in you, and you need to get it burning hot again. Well, how do I do that? You do that by getting in love with Jesus. How do I fall in love with Jesus? I just read all 66 books of his love letter. And I just fall in love with the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how you do it. See, you need somebody to help you today. And if God has blessed you and God has stirred you and God has given you a gift you use for his glory, don't let anybody try to cool you off. If God has gifted you to sing, keep on singing. If God has gifted you to play instruments, keep on playing. If God's gifted you in any way to serve, you keep on serving. I know with all of my heart when God saved me, he did something for me. And when God called me, he gave me something I couldn't ever give myself. God gave me something when he put the preach in me. Are y'all with me? I, I didn't get the preach in me from nowhere else. God put that within me. And many times, I want to tell you something, Satan's tried to put the fire out. You know what he's done? He's used all sorts of sources. 
He's used unspiritual Christians. He's used unsaved church members. He's used all sorts of things from with, from within and without. He's used all sorts of things to try to put the fire out. And listen to me. I'd be lying to you if there wasn't some times the embers got kind of low. But let me tell you what God does for me. Every time the ember gets a little low, he starts to stir in my soul. And he takes me back to an altar bench where he saved me. He takes me back to that same altar bench where he called me in the spring of 1986 to preach the gospel and he reminds me of those men that led me to faith in Jesus and believed in me and prayed for me and he takes me back to the place where it all started and he reminds me son I was with you then I'm with you now and I'll never leave you keep stirring up the gift that God's put in you to God be the glory don't let the world take away from you what God's put in you God help us today never 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 do that Feels good when the flame gets hot, amen? <laughs> Let me tell you something else about the fire. The presence of a fire is a powerful reassurance. Listen to what Paul said to them. He said, this was given to you through the laying on of my hands. It is a personal responsibility to you to stir the fire up in you, but it's reassuring to see other believers stirring up the fire in them. Here's what Paul reminded Timothy of a time. He reminded him of the time when God called him into service. The local church ordained him to that work. He was saying, Timothy, God saw something in you, and so did the church. So son, you can be reassured that God believes in you, so do we. Do you know what he was saying? He was saying, son, you've got God's handprints and my handprints all over you. You know what he was saying? Someone believed in you enough and the best way that you can honor them is to keep your flame I told them in the first service, and I'll tell y'all too, I think back to when I stood in a pew and I heard the preacher tell me that I was a sinner. And I heard the preacher tell me that I couldn't save myself. And I heard the preacher tell me that the only way I'd get to heaven is if I let Jesus take my sin away. But I had to give it to him. I had to repent. And I remember so much what that was like. And I remember what it was like when I began to walk with God and began to serve Him in ministry. And I look back and I think about those men. Sometimes I'll go to my wall and I'll pull down my ordination papers and I'll look on the back and I'll read the names. A whole lot of them are in heaven now. And when I think about the investment that they made in me it makes me want to keep my fire hot so I don't let God down and I don't let them down are y'all with me think about those that loved you and led you to Jesus and those who have invested in your journey think about those who have put their spiritual handprints on you but now you've got to think about who am I going to leave my handprints on 
Who am I going to invest in so that I can have an influence for God and for good? And who can I keep my fire hot for that I can help reassure them when they get to feeling a little low that they can get theirs hot again? Who can I do that for? Uh, preacher, listen to me. You, you, don't, you don't understand, preacher, what my life's like. I, I, I've been discouraged. I've been defeated at times. And, and I've had other preachers talk to me and they'll say, I don't know how to get through this. The folks in the church are talking bad about me. They're saying all kinds of stuff that's not true and I don't know what to do. It's just they're complaining about everything I do and I tell them, look here. A wise preacher told me a long time ago and I'll never forget it. He said, find one that's complaining about you and making up, just remember this, that dogs don't bark at parked cars. Amen. He said, if you're moving and doing what I put you there to do, it doesn't matter. Hey, I know this, and I've learned this in 27 years as a pastor. You'll never find a pastor that'll be everything everybody wants them to be all the time for everybody. It's just not going to happen. So what we have to do is, is remember why we're here. Some people will say, well, he don't do things the way I like him to. I want him to do this, and he's doing that. I want him here. He's there. He don't do like I want him to. He don't do like all of our other preachers have done. And I just say to you this, that's not why any preacher is where he is today. He's not what to do what every other preacher's done. He's not what to do what everybody else thinks he ought to do. He's to get his marching orders from God, fan the flame up real hot within him, and get up here and lead this church to blaze a trail to go touch the world for Jesus Christ. That's why he's here. That's what it's all about. It's not about keeping status quo. It's about blazing a new trail in a new frontier for the glory of God. That's what it's about. God help us today. So next time somebody complains about you, just think, man, at least I'm not a parked car. Amen. <laughs> God help us. Well, I got to leave you with verse 7. Y'all get home and say, man, I really wanted him to talk about verse 7. I know y'all would. But verse 7, he leaves Timothy with this. He talks about the methods to bury fear. Verses 1 through 4, we read Timothy had a spiritual father. And Paul, he had a sincere family in Lois and Eunice in verses 5 and 6. And in verse 7, he has a satisfying future. So how do we bury fear? Well, there's two ways. I'm going to give them to you and I'm done. We bury fear by resisting what God did not give us. What did he not give us? He did not give us a spirit of fear. See, we live in an age of rampant terrorism, don't we? We live in an age where terrorism is something we hear about, we see about quite regularly. But can I tell you, a terrorist has one goal, and that goal is to paralyze people with fear. That can be even intensified by what we've been going through the past eight months, that people would be paralyzed by fear. And once again, I would never tell you to not be cautious. I would never tell you to not be, uh, you know, watchful and mindful and use good common sense and all that kind of stuff. But we can't be paralyzed by fear. Notice the words, has not given. Now that's important. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Those words, have not, has not given, are very important because... It's in the aorist, active, indicative tense. You say, what does all that mean? It shows a past completed action. It means he's not given us a spirit of fear in the past, and it is a completed action. God has already provided for what we need to live a life free of fear. And any spirit of fear we might have does not come from God. What 
does the word spirit of fear mean? Well, let's look at it just a minute. It means timid, cowardly, shameful fear that is generated by a weak, selfish character. See, that's what helps the Word of God come alive to you, friend. That's why it's important for me to spend the time that it takes to figure out what in the world is going on here so we can help people understand the Scripture more deeply, walk with God more sincerely. The spirit of fear doesn't just mean, well, I just had a fleeting moment of fear. No, it means a timid, cowardly, shameful fear that is generated by a weak, selfish character. It means if our character is weak and selfish, then fear will explode in our lives. There's another way we bury fear. We bury fear by receiving what God did give us. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but here's what he did give us, and they're right there. It's in your Bible. He gave us power, which is derived from the Greek word dunamis, which means dynamite. He gives us dynamite power. His supernatural power enables us to be effective in his kingdom work. He's given us love. Aren't you glad to be loved? Do y'all know that I've told you many times over, life's two greatest questions. Will I be loved and am I enough? Everybody has those questions. Will I be loved and am I enough? There's nothing like being loved. That's why it's important for you to be a part of a church family where you can be loved by people who love God like you do. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that's very important. We understand the very moment a new believer comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within that believer, and the Holy Spirit provides a power, provides that dunamis. It provides a love like no person has ever known, and they will never be the same. And then he gives us a sound mind. I want to leave you with this today. The word sound, when we hear that in the church, we think, oh, that's the guys that work the speakers and the microphones, right? Well, no, it means something totally different here. Not talking about that type sound. The word sound means a mind that is secure, disciplined, and properly prioritized. I'm going to say that again now. The word sound means a mind that is secure, disciplined, and properly prioritized. See, if we're going to have a sound mind, those things are going to have to be important. So here's the question. Does verse 7 describe your mind? Does verse 7 describe my mind? Because if we would all be honest, and I know no other way to be, and standing before you today, I'd love to tell you that at all times I've always been secure, disciplined, and properly prioritized. But that would not be true. But I believe if we'll all be honest, we've all experienced those times where fear crept in. Sometimes it even exploded in our lives. But I want you to know a disciplined mind is one that allows us to focus and apply every part of our lives according to the will of God. Now here's what he wants you to do, okay? If you're going to influence others, and I trust you want to, if you're going to invest in others, and I trust you want to, and if you're going to make an impact on others, and I trust you really want to do that, then you're going to have to follow the method that Paul taught Timothy. You're going to have to bear fruit. You're going to have to build a fire. And you're going to have to bury fear. Here's what an old preacher told me one time years ago, and I believe it's still true today. When I was 
first moving from Alabama to Georgia for my tour of duty. He told me, he said, son, if you'll go down there and preach the word and let God build a fire, folks will come get warmed by it. You know what? I found that to be true over and over. We're about to enter some, the cold season. And we know it'll be cold outside. But we don't want it to ever be cold in here. And you don't ever want to get cold in here. We need to let God build a fire. That he'd draw people to it. That he could bury fear. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name. God, I'm so thankful for your word today. And I'm thankful for how it speaks to my heart. Reminds me how small I am and how big you are. Reminds me of how weak I am and how strong you are. Reminds me of how deeply I need you more every day. Father, right here in this room, there could be many that have been overcome by fear these past months. And Lord, we've all been touched by it. We've all been affected by it. But right here from your word today, you're telling me and you're telling this group of people and all those listening by the internet today that you have the answer. That we need secure, disciplined, properly prioritized minds that would help dispel the fear that Satan tries to spread in our soul. God, help us as we go forth from this day and every day that we would bring glory to you by fanning our own flame and helping to fan the flames of others so that fear does not overcome us but we can walk by faith. Lord, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way just a moment or two before we dismiss, and I want to thank you so much for making it a priority to be in the house of the Lord today. Um, he's just good, ain't he? He's just good. Sometimes you just need to stop and thank him for how good he's been. But I want you to know as you we dismiss today, always remember this. If there's anything you need from the Lord, we are here for you, pandemic or no pandemic. We're not in any hurry to leave, and if we can help you, you are not an interruption of what we do. You are the purpose of what we do. We love people because God does, and he's put unconditional love in our heart for all people. If you need anything from the Lord today, you come at the end of the service. Talk with me. I'll be here to stay for as long as you need. If there's anything you need this week, the office will be open Monday and Tuesday. You notice in your bullet it will be closed Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. If you have any emergency over the weekend, you can call your family deacon. You can call me. It doesn't matter. We want to help you. We're going to be there for you. we got um, a couple of funerals this week in our church family. I want you to remember these families in prayer. Uh, the Marsland family, Mr. Rose Marsland, found out her funeral is today. It's this afternoon at Dryden's, and then tomorrow... Uh, here at 2 o'clock is Miss Libby Owen and 
then her visitations from 12 to the funerals at 2 so don't forget to pray for both of these families and lift them up before the Lord all of us have experienced loss at some level and we know how painful that can be so lift them up in prayer if you would don't forget that and this Thanksgiving week no Wednesday night service but think be be thankful not just this week but every week and know that I'm praying for you I know there's so much out there that's trying I mean can you believe you ever thought we'd live in a country in a day where they start trying to say in certain parts of the world if you have 10 people in your house or more they're going to come take your turkey I don't know I mean did you did you ever I never I mean I never dreamed that but uh Lord, I think back in the old days of my grandmother's house, we'd all been in jail. We was in the yard hanging off the porch and chasing watermelons. I mean, I'm thinking, boy, we'd all been arrested. So anyhow, but we're living in unprecedented times. But listen, never forget this. We have a sovereign, holy, and faithful God that will walk with us all the way to glory. So don't forget that. Offering buckets are at both doors on your way out. You can choose to use the online app. Uh, if you'd like to continue to do that, tithe.ly or go to heflinbaptist.org and you can access it that way. Hey, good to see all you young folks up there today. Hudson, you holding them down up there? Biscuit, he's hungry. I can see him. He's back there trying to see if somebody's got a cracker. I see him. Okay, all right. Just checking y'all out. Love you guys very much. Love all of you. And remember this. God loves you and I love you and there ain't a thing you can do about it. All right? Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. Thank you.